schedule and uh, decorate when they do, which would probably have been back in October. But um, we're, we're thankful that we get to, to have a great time in, in Christmas. You heard all the things coming up. One of the things I'm very excited about, great opportunity to invite people, is that concert on December the 12th. And you'll see in your copy of Lifelines, there, there's a place for you to sign up to help with that. We'll need lots of workers to be a part of that. So please fill that little form out and leave it on your pew or put it in the basket on the way out. And that'll be a great time. You know, next Sunday's going to be a special Sunday. One service, 1030. Uh, Paul Evans will actually be preaching that Sunday. You know how good that's going to be. And then we're all really looking forward to December 5th. You know, uh, we all may have different preferences about things, but we all agree on the mission. And so I invite you to be praying about both of our services that God's going to bless both styles in a way that we will reach more and more people for Jesus Christ. So that's going to be very, very exciting. You know, today we're going to con- conclude our series on, on living close. And uh, today, today's what I call So What Sunday. All right, say that with me. So What Sunday. Say it with me. So What Sunday. All right. I mean, today's the day we come to conclusion. We've been doing this for nine weeks. And now the question is, so what? I mean, you know, Satan's not worried about us studying close spiritual friendships. He's not worrying us about us just talking about it. What he is concerned about is us actually developing those friendships because he knows how impactful they can be. And so today, I want to leave you with three takeaways very practical of what you can do to walk out of here and us develop those kind of relationships with God and each other. So we'll get really practical. I want to start back, though, with the passage we began this series in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. The wise man said some really good things here, and it doesn't just belong in a marriage ceremony, all right? Look at Ecclesiastes 4 verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. One, the wise man says, Life alone is meaningless. You know, we, we, we sort of experience that, don't we? I mean, you, you know, you go to a movie by yourself, it doesn't mean near as much. Whether the movie's really, really good, and you get in the car and you talk about what you enjoyed, it was really bad, and you get in the car and you complain about it. There's something about being together that gives life meaning. Let's see how on top of uh, things you are this morning, I want to quote two songs, and you tell me, who the artists were. Here's one line from one song. One is the loneliest number. Who sang that? Well, you're not as good as the old crowd. Three dog night, all right? Three dog night. Now, let me give you another quote, and let's see if anybody in here can get this one. It's about enjoying your life. If you have no family and no friends to enjoy it with, it don't matter how much you have, how much success you have, how much fame you have, how much money you have. Ultimately, those things simply don't matter. Does anybody know who sang that? You guys are behind me. Vanilla Ice. Okay. I'm sure you're into that. I don't really know who that is. But they, they, they sang that song. 
And, and, and what both of those songs are saying is, guys, the same thing the wise man was trying to say. Life is meaningless when you experience it all alone. And then he goes on to talk about two. Look at this next point. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. You ever heard those horrific stories about someone who has a fall all by themselves and they they injure themselves and they lay there for hours with no one to help them up? Uh, The wise man said, that's an awful place. I guarantee you every one of us have had those moments emotionally when we've fallen into a hole and we had no one to pick us up. The wise man said, that's not the way life was meant to do, to be. So he says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? What's the second point? Two, life together is meaningful. That's what brings meaning to life. And then keep reading the passage. He gets to something really, really important. And that's that third strand. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Here's that third point. Life together with God is unbreakable. We saw that in our first message in this series. We talked about Naomi and Ruth. And and we remember that statement that Ruth makes to her mother-in-law of all people. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. What's she saying? She's saying, I tell you what, this cord of three cannot be broken. Not only is this a friendship for now, this is a friendship for eternity. So, we see those points about living close. And yet, let me say this, living close is not a given. In our culture today, it honestly is the exception. You can think of so many things that have changed the way we look at this. Some of you are old enough to remember when most people grew up in rural America on a family farm. Immediately, uncles, aunts, cousins, you had relationships. Some of us, like myself, grew up in the era of the great neighborhood, where everybody in the neighborhood knew each other. And houses were built close to the street with a big front porch that people actually sat on. And they talked together. And you went to a corner drugstore or a corner grocery store. It wasn't that big, but you almost knew everybody there. You immediately had relationships. But that day is over. And then we moved to the suburbs, and we got bigger lots, moved the house to the back, put a fake front porch on it, and we hardly ever interact. It's made it hard for Americans to build relationships. And then if you add to that the pace of life that we all try to live, it doesn't help. Relationships, listen to this, relationships are not built in a hurry. It'll mess it up. You gotta have time. And yet we're in a hurried culture. And then if you add this connectivity we have on social media, it gives us connectivity without closeness. It's no wonder that George Gallup says in his pollings, Americans are the loneliest people on the earth. Why? Because everything is working against it. So as we talk about this lesson today, 
It's not a given. When I'm looking out at you, man, my desire and my prayer is that everybody in this church has a close spiritual friend. But I know from the way we live, it really doesn't always happen, even in church. And some of us remember the day when the church was the best thing going on in town and people showed up three, four times a week. That, that was the best you had to go. And now we got all these diversions and all the other things we can do. And so many of us just end up on a Sunday morning looking at the back of somebody's head and not really building a relationship. Here's the good news I'm trying to tell you. It's supposed to be a whole lot better than that. And so this morning, I'm going to give you three takeaways, very practical, of what you can do to build closeness with God and each other. Dan says he's not pushy. Let me just tell you, I am pushy, all right? And and so we're going to push you about three simple things for you to do when you walk out of here. Because Satan's saying, so what? And we're going to say, something happened, okay? Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Here's the good news. The Lord is near. So do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you notice what he says. He lists all kinds of different prayers, but he says every prayer should be laced with thanksgiving. So here's the key to living close with God. The key is what's going on this week, which is thanksgiving. I honestly believe this. You can make a biblical case that the worst sin is ingratitude. Why? Because our life with God stems from a thankful heart. Look at this quotation. When we see God most clearly, it's when we thank Him most often. If you're a good parent, you're teaching your child to say thank you. Somebody gives them a gift or a piece of candy and and they don't say it, you're going to say, what do you say? Thank you. And you love that because you know that's important for their relationship. But when you really, really, really appreciate your child is when they grow up and you don't tell them to say thank you. You do something for them and they just put their arm around you and say, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom. That's a special moment. And guys, we have a heavenly father, a daddy, Galatians 4 told us last week, who actually wants to hear thank you. And yet, we live in a culture where we're notorious for picking people and things apart. So we don't say thank you much, because we can see one thing we don't like, and that takes it off the table. Well, just think about what we talked about last week. Galatians chapter 4, three points we made. Jesus came, that's what we're celebrating in Christmas. Jesus saved us, because we are in a right relationship with God. And then third, this is what should blow our minds, Jesus adopted us. He's put us in this family. He's filled us with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit cries out with our spirit, Abba, Father. No one would have ever dreamed that you could call God Daddy. Now, I loved hearing Tom Harbin teach Wednesday night because he's like, man, this just blows my mind. 
I've I've thought a lot about Jesus coming. I've thought about being saved, but I sort of missed out on the whole adoption part. I, I just wanted to get from here to heaven. My friends, it's so much better than that. And that should give us all reason to say thank you all over again. A friend of mine was telling me about a, a Jewish practice that sounds so incredible and yet challenging. Is that 70 times a day you need to bless God. In other words, 70 times a day you need to tell God, thank you. Can you imagine what that would do to your day? Can you imagine what that would do to your relationship with God if you just constantly noticed things and said thank you? Let me say this. It would change what you and I are doing right now. And it would really change what we're about to do in just a moment when we take communion together. One of my favorite psalms translated in the message. We know the psalm that says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Love that. But the message put it in a way that made it come so alive to me. Enter with the password. Thank you. (laughs) That password to get in the presence of God is not some complicated religious formula. It's simply being thankful. So can I ask you this morning, did you know the password when you walked through these three doors? Because whether you worship or not is not so dependent on how good our worship people do, and boy, Eric's done a great job. It's not even so dependent on how I do or don't do. Because what it's really dependent on is did you walk in this building with a thankful heart? Did you know the password? And guys, as we come to the communion table right now, go ahead and take your communion supplies out. The key to this table being meaningful to you is the password, thank you. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls this the cup of thanksgiving. Now, hopefully in just a few days, you're going to have a great Thanksgiving meal around the table. But right now, we start with the greatest Thanksgiving meal you'll take all week long. And that's the meal around this table. So I'm going to give you a a challenge before you even start singing along with the worship team. Would you thank God in the next few moments for just 10 things? Just thinking, what what are 10 things that you don't want, like the video said, to take for granted? You just want to stop right now and say thank you. It's about to change your communion. And let me just say this. The first one can't be, I thank you, Lord, for this day. Okay? Just wipe wipe that one off the table. We all say that one all the time. Just, God, what am I thankful for? Let's pray together. God, we love Thanksgiving. And, Father, you know you love it even more because it truly is the basis of a great, close walk with you. And as we step into this communion, as we sit at this table, If we'll just come with thanksgiving, it'll be so different. And we'll feel so close to you. Because God, please forgive us for all the moments in life where we take things for granted or we focus on the negative and we forget to do for you, our perfect Heavenly Father, what we train our children to do for us. And that's simply say thank you.
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start with having that close relationship with God based on Thanksgiving. Think about the hymn we just sang and the meaning of those words. To survey the wondrous cross, I can't help but praise him because of that. And now we get to living close in community. And I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 2. You remember in Acts chapter 2, probably 100,000 Jewish people have come to Jerusalem. Peter preaches the good news for the first time. 3,000 are baptized. And most of them, instead of going back home, they decided to stay out in Jerusalem for a while. So so what do you do with the church of 3,000 overnight? What's it look like? Let me tell you, if you were to ask me, buddy, what is your dream for Landmark? If Landmark could be anything you think God wants it to be, what would it be? It would be exactly this passage. Read with me, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, not weekly, guys, daily, those who were being saved. Is that awesome? Now, now what do you do when you got a church of 3,000 overnight? I'll tell you what you do. You do exactly that. You find a public place to meet, temple courts, and then you spread out around Jerusalem in all of these homes. So if we're going to live close in community, the key is these small groups meeting in homes. That's why Landmark, we say unabashedly, we are a small group church. And that's why we try to move you as best as possible from simply being here in these rows, which is a great thing. But we think you also need to be in circles because that's where an environment is where laughter and relationships and all kinds of good things can happen. And so, you know, as a church, we, we've been so blessed. When this pandemic hit, um, man, I, you know, we weren't meeting for a few months. I mean, I, I, I knew my mind was probably going to go to a dark place because this is a lot of my life. But God gave me a, a swing thought that really changed the pandemic for me in that this is a new beginning. We're not trying to be landmark before the pandemic. We're not trying to be landmark 10 years ago. We're going to try to be whatever God does right now. And I've just been praying about that. And I'm telling you, God has been so faithful. I I talked to a lot of minister friends of mine whose churches have not made it through the pandemic. A close one, a friend of mine, their church is closing next Sunday. I've talked to a lot of people in church work where the church has come back just limping. My friends, we've had the largest attendance since the pandemic the last three weeks. And you see all these new people coming, and we're witnessing all these people surrendering their life to Jesus and, and being baptized, and we've been able to restore the assembly, and we've been able to start Bible classes back, and those are awesome. But a big part of us is these small groups. And, and so what we're blessed with right now is just, and we've been waiting on this till time we thought we could actually start pushing something, is we're going to take a, a two-month break. The light groups will have their 
Christmas party and then we'll take a break January and February and we are going to go through a complete reorg. And we are so excited about that because God has blessed us with so many people. And we believe that God, as we, you know, venture into some new areas, is going to bless us with more and more people. And, and we know it's not enough for them just to be here. Listen to this statistic. If someone comes to our church and within six months they don't make any friends, almost 100% of those people will leave, no matter how much they love it. If within six months they make only six friends, 100% of those people will stay. And now when they stay, they'll grow. And so what we're calling January is small group refuel. We want to put some gasoline on the fire. We want to throw some logs on the fire. For many of us have been doing this for, for many, many years. We need to be refueled. For some of you who are new in our church, we need you to catch the fire. Because I've heard people for years and years say, you know, Landmark's a really great church, but if you really want to experience Landmark at its best, go to a small group. And so over the next month or so, we're going to be targeting some age groups where we're, we're not really strong right now. And we're going to be targeting some neighborhoods and areas where we just have a, a lot of folks. I've talked to two or three of you this morning about it. You know, we've got, we've got a goal to start a group that focuses on military families. We got, a, you know, some neighborhoods that right now all our people are moving into. It's like, hey, could we establish this here? So we're, we're not just going to throw this open and say, hey, man, sign this sheet. You're probably going to be getting some, some mail and some emails and some phone calls as we try to surface this. Because I've seen it work so beautifully. I look over here and I see some young men who meet every Sunday after church in their life group, young professional, single young men who've established a great group. We need a, a young ladies group like that. I look out here and I see Doug Prater and Patrick McCarthy, who just the last few months have started a group up on Lake Jordan that is just doing great things. And we know when we do that, that's when it explodes. So I'll tell you what, I love Pat and Deb Watkins. They've been members here forever. And um, they started a group a couple years ago. Their express goal was we're going to reach out to people at Landmark who don't have a group. And it's exploded. So we know this can work. And so we're asking you, starting right now, just to pray over this and to think about this and to, to, to answer what's your role going to be in this. Guys, to be one of our life group leaders, you, you certainly don't need to be a Bible scholar and you don't need to have all the answers. You simply need to be a good facilitator who can ask questions and listen and interact and love on people. So many of you men and women could do that. So please be praying about that. It'd be so, so exciting. So we're going to be working here. How do we live close in community? It's through getting in these small groups. Let's make one more point here. Look at this passage, Proverbs 18. Listen to what it says. Some friends may ruin you. You ever had that? That's why many of us are sort of scared of this. But a real friend will be more loyal to you than a brother. You may experience in this church that the people you're most close to are not your blood kin, but your Christ blood kin. And, and you have people that are loyal to you. So what we're talking about here is living close with spiritual friends. Let me give you a key that may surprise you, but I think it's powerful. And the key of this one is questions. Are you willing to ask questions of people 
Dale Carnegie is famous for his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the best-selling books in the history of the world. And he had one line in there that was so simple and yet so profound. Everyone's favorite subject is themselves. Raise your hand if you believe that. We, all, we have no problem. In that, that's part of our curse is that I, I get with somebody and I'm so full of myself, all I can do is talk about myself and I never actually ask them a question about how they're doing. But on the other hand, that's an incredible blessing because conversation can be really easy. All you've got to do is ask somebody something about themselves. You know, when Jesus walked this earth, if you really notice his ministry, his ministry was almost based on asking people questions. He hardly ever just gave an answer. He asked a question back. And then sometimes he would turn around and say to disciples who were following him, okay, guys, let me ask you a question before we go any further. What do you want? Or a paralyzed man who's come to him to heal him, who seems to have a problem more than just needing a physical healing. He needs a, a mental healing. Jesus says to him, okay, God, do you really want to get well? Or do you like being the victim? And guys, in our relationships, when we start asking good questions, watch yourself in your conversations. Do you just get on a spill of what you want to talk about, or do you actually try to find out what's going on with other people? It's really that powerful. And let me give you a real specific step this morning to start spiritual conversations. This is something Dave Clayton shared with our staff. I thought it was so powerful, and this is so easy. Question number one, how has God been getting your attention? Oh, you could be at lunch with some. I've been doing this recently over some lunches. What's God been doing to get your attention? That's not a too intimidating question. You might actually, maybe you're brave enough to ask this at the Thanksgiving table. You're so tired of the superficial conversations about football and how you really don't like turkey and why do we keep eating turkey on Thanksgiving? And someone finally says, let's just talk a minute. How's God been getting your attention? And then the second question to go along with that, you might not even get past the first question, would be, what's he inviting you to do? And the third question would be, when does he want you to do it? And the fourth question is so key to building this relationship, how can I help? We don't grow alone, we grow together. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you want to experience these kind of relationships, it's as simple as asking good questions. I'm asking you, this is so what Sunday. Are you willing to do this? I'm not asking you to answer out loud right now, but I'm really asking you because we don't need to waste nine weeks talking about living close. We got to do it. Because, you know, you can have superficial relationships by the dozen out here in the world. But in God's church, we have relationships that are meaningful, that are upbuilding, that are encouraging, that actually get to the heart of what's going on with us. Because deep down, we all want to be known and loved. Now, let me remind you of what we said at the beginning of this message. When it comes to living close, it's not a given. And I gave you a lot of answers that I've given you many times of why it's so hard in our culture. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the, the way we live and the, the pace of life that we live and even the way our neighborhoods are now built and, you know, just so many things work against relationships. Well, I, I, I've not given you the whole story. I've had to think a little deeper about this this week. Guys, you know the reason we don't have close relationships? 
is because Satan does not want us to have them. It's more than just we got some cultural barriers. I'm telling you what you do, and I tell you what I do. I do what I want to do. You do too. If you want to do something, you find a way to do it. And guys, what we've got to do is find a way that we go, you know what? We're, we're not going to let these cultural things come in our way. Let's find out our real enemy is Satan does not want you to grow spiritually like you could in a small group. He wants you to stay isolated in this church. He doesn't want you to have that spiritual friend who encourages, who knows what's going on in your life. And so Satan is going to attack this over and over. He's the enemy, guys. He doesn't want you to have this. And the way he'll do it is by filling your life with sin. Let's just get down to the bottom line. What what keeps us back from these kind of things, it's just sin. You say, whoa, whoa, what are you you talking about? Let me me give you four sins that keep you away from this. First of all is pride. Pride says, I don't really need it. That's a lie. God didn't make you to do this alone. Second sin, shame. I don't really deserve it. If people really got to know me and they knew my inner thoughts and motivations, what I did 20 years ago, they might not really want to be close. Let me just tell you this because I know this church. That's an absolute lie. So it might be pride, it might be shame. It could be a sin as easy as just simply selfishness. And that one gives this flimsy excuse that we use, I don't have time for it. My friends, listen to me. You fill your life with what you want. And if I can look at your schedule and you can look at my schedule, you can find a lot of fluff. And the question is, am I willing to get rid of some of the fluff to get to the real thing? And maybe a fourth sin we could list here is just simply laziness. We've just gotten lazy. This really surprised me at the beginning of the pandemic. I was really afraid because I'm an extrovert. I love to be around people. I love doing what I do. And, and I thought, oh, this is going to be so awful. I can't imagine just staying two months at home. I'm going to go crazy. And it shocked me that I loved it. I've always thought, I'm never going to be able to retire anyway, but actually it was sort of nice, you know. And I got in this habit, you know, of just really wanting to be home. And, and that there was something healthy about that, but as things began to open back up, I had to even push myself a little bit to say, no, do we want our group to meet tonight? Or are we going to skip this week? And what I found is, you know what, I, I just sort of got lazy. And this has been an easy time to get lazy. And my friends, listen so closely to what God is trying to say to our hearts this morning. Guys, it's not just the crazy culture we live in. We can blame that all day long. It is the terrible enemy that we have who's allowed us to be full of pride, allowed us to be full of shame, allowed us to be full of selfishness, and just flat lazy. And guys, this is what our challenge is today, is that for us to live close, we've got to see this for what it is. And, and, and we've got to go, you know what? I want everything God has for me. I love the story of this thief. He's got a gun to somebody's forehead. And he hands them a big sack. He says, give me all your valuables. I love what the guy did with the gun to his head. He started grabbing his friends and sticking them in the sack. Because my friends, that 
That is your valuables. It's not the money in your bank account. It's not how nice a house you live in or what car you have. It's not all your goof-off stuff. Your valuables are the people in your life that mean the most to you. And that's why we began this series with this incredible definition. I didn't tell you the story, but this definition came from a British contest of a magazine said, let's, let's, who can come up with the best definition of a friendship? And everybody threw all these definitions, but here's the one that won. A friend, the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. I love that. You know, you don't, you don't really know who your friends are when everything's going good. Everybody's applauding you. You know your friends when you've fallen flat on your face. Or someone's put you on your face. And, 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 and that's the person who comes in and is loyal even when you're at your worst. That's why we love the story earlier of David and Jonathan. I mean, for all accounts, Jonathan should have never been David's friend. Because Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne from his father. And David is seeking to take that. And Jonathan should have said, uh-uh, no way I'll protect you. You're taking my place. But Jonathan came in when everybody had gone out and the whole world was chasing David to kill him. And Jonathan protected him. That's a friend. That's what, my goodness, please, please, please open your mind this morning. We all need that kind of friend. But you're not going to have it until you put yourself out there to have it. And that's why as a church, we're trying to create safe environments. Not like you're just going out on the street and picking a friend. Safe environments where you could do this. The friend, the one who comes in when the whole world's gone out. I love this story I read this week about World War I. You know, these two young men, they'd grown up together. They ended up going over to the trenches in um, Europe, and they were serving side by side. And one day in the trench warfare, one of the friends had been out fighting, and he had been mortally wounded. And between our trenches and the German trenches, he was not only wounded, he was wrapped up in barbed wire. Well, his best friend was wanting to go get him, and his sergeant said, don't you dare go out there because he's going to die no matter what you do. And if you go out there, you'll probably be killed. Then the sergeant sort of walked away. And when he walked away, the best friend jumped out of the trench. And he crawled all the way to his friend. And he drug him back to the trench. And his friend was dead. And he now was mortally wounded. And the sergeant said to him, why did you do that? You've not accomplished anything but taken both of your lives. That was such a waste. And the young man looked up at the sergeant and said, Oh, no. When I got to my friend, the only words he had the power to say to me was, I knew you'd come. And that was worth it all. My friends, God has created a church for you to have those kind of friends because I'm guaranteeing you, you're going to get knocked down. I guarantee you, you're going to feel in some moments in your life where you feel alone and you're going to need those people. You may think I'm okay right now, but you won't always be okay. You're going to need those people and that's what God wants for you. So guys, this is So What Sunday. 
what we can do. Are you willing to take these three challenges? Be thankful. Be in a small group. Form a small group. Learn to go ask spiritual questions. Or are we just going to leave here the way we've been? My friends, here's, here's what we need is, you know, when we talk about our valuables, we need a sack full of people. And what I'm telling you is it's possible. And right now as we sing, if, if you need prayers for you to step out and have some courage to make these friendships, if you're feeling lonely, if today you need the support of this church, meet me here on this front row so we can pray for you before you walk out of here because we're family. We love you. Let's stand together and sing.